0: one of the smartest lessons I learned in business is just, you know, don't be afraid to, to just own who you are and, and own that niche and, and just stand for something because you're, you're going to attract more of the right people anyway.
1: This is Stay Paid, the marketing podcast that gives listeners a competitive edge to stay motivated, find inspiration, and discover proven real-world tactics from some of the best marketers across the nation. This podcast is brought to you by
2: Reminder Media, the company that keeps the lights on in our studio, including our take action sign behind us. Luke and I have worked together over the last 20 years to help small business owners stay top of mind with a mission to help them generate more repeat and referral business. We help business owners with everything from lead generation, print marketing, social media content, geographic farming,
1: and more. We've had the opportunity to help over a 100,000 entrepreneurs over the last 20 years. It's really been amazing. If you'd like to see how we can help you and your business, be sure to check out ReminderMedia.com slash staypaidmarketing. That's ReminderMedia.com slash marketing. Take action on that today.
2: Welcome to another episode of Stay Paid. I'm Joshua Stike along with Luke Acri and our guest today is Alex Brackey. Alex is an award-winning real estate agent, speaker, and coach in Northern Virginia. As the owner of Valor Group real estate team, he sold over a quarter of a billion dollars in real estate in the last nine years. In addition to his real estate business, Alex is heavily involved in the law enforcement community, having spent 10 years in law enforcement, and works with both Paul's of Honor and his own home buying program, which we'll get into later here, uh, called uh, Homes for Cops. Alex, welcome to Stay Paid.
0: Thanks for being here. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me.
1: Alex, man, excited to have you on. First off, thank you for your service, and the police really appreciate that and all of our Uh, police officers and uh, people who serve out there. Really appreciate that. I'm excited to interview you. I met you at a brand building event um, and put on by the Dwellers Group in Virginia, I guess Vienna, Virginia, and was able to speak there. You were speaking there as well. And I was hearing you talking. I was like, man, I got to get this guy on the show. One (laughs) is I think you've done a fantastic job leaving one career and going to another and and leveraging that. I think a lot of people fail to leverage their career. So I want to pick your brain there. And then also you do this, cold calling like objection handling type night so you you become i actually signed up to get your video for objection handling so i can't wait to actually dive into that more and get more of those resources maybe we can plug it here on the show so people can find it but if you can share just a little bit of your story being a police officer and then going into real estate why did you make that transition and how did you successfully leave that career and go into real estate like you have
0: yeah. Uh, so again, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, super excited to be part of the podcast here. Um, so I, I did. I, I was uh, I was in law enforcement for almost ten years, uh, and I came to a point where I realized, for a lot of reasons that I, I never anticipated, that I wouldn't retire uh, as a cop. But you know, I, I suddenly one day found myself realizing that that wasn't going to happen, and so um, then I, I started looking to like, okay. if I, I never, there was never a plan B, right? That was always what it was going to be. Uh, and so I started looking for like, what in the world am I going to do with my life, right? If, if I'm not going to be a cop, then then what? Uh, and at the time I, I had, I had bought a home, I had sold it and I had bought another one. Uh, I used three different real estate agents through those processes and um, never had an overtly like horrible experience, but I, I, I just kept feeling like there has to be a better way to do this. Um, mm. You know, I felt like the value proposition that they were giving me was not one that I found useful. Uh, they were still trying to be the one that was finding the home for me, uh, and you know, in, in the uh, the advent of all the third party sites that we we know about, you know, the Zillow's, the Realtor.coms, and whatever. That wasn't a, a problem I needed solved. I, I had access to what was coming on market. I needed a different value proposition. And so um, that was when I started wondering, like, gosh, I, I wonder if there's a place for somebody like me, right? That was maybe a little bit younger than the average, at least at the time anyway, a little <laughs> younger than the average real estate agent and, you know, maybe a little bit more tech savvy. And uh, so I started doing some reading and found out that, yeah, there was kind of this gaping hole in, in the real estate market for, I think, somebody like me. And so I I thought, well, let let me, let me give that a try. My original intention was I was going to, um, you know, over the course of about two years, maybe transition over, uh, what I quickly learned about myself was that I I don't know how to do a job at less than like a (laughs) hundred miles an hour. Uh, and so I, I found myself working 5 PM to 5 AM, uh, in law enforcement. I'd go home. I would shower to try to trick my mind into thinking I was waking back up again. Mm. Uh, And then I'd go into the real estate office at seven from usually about 7 AM until about noon. I'd go home, sleep two hours, and do it all over again. Get out um, of here,
1: dude! That is amazing.
0: It, it was it was the hardest grind I think I've ever done, uh, and I, I only had to do it for about five months. But that was that was literally about as long as I could do it.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, so. How did you leverage like to make that jump? Um, like, when did you know you had to get out of the police? Like, when did you know? Oh, I need to leave this. I can't have a foot in both worlds. And then, um, how did you leverage kind of your background to actually get your first deals in real estate?
0: Yeah. So I, I just, I, like I said, I, my intention was to do, to do the transition over, over a longer period of time, but I just, I, I don't know how to, I, I'm either all in or all out okay. right? in all aspects of my life. Right. We, we, we were talking before about, you know, losing a lot of weight. And I, I just, I'm either all in or all out. Um, and so I realized that I, I can't do something part time. That's just not how I operate. Uh, and so it was—it was just a, a function of, of utility, right? Like I, I couldn't live off of two hours of sleep for more than about four or five months, right? Gotcha. I just I couldn't do it. Uh, and so I had to give one of them up. Uh, and uh, and so I, I gave up the policing. Now, for me, you know, leveraging the relationships that I had, you know, it was it was easy for me because at least you know, in my time in policing, what I recognized was for some reason, and, and maybe it's just working in the industry that we did, but cops, we, d- we don't tend to trust folks a whole lot, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and, and that's, a, it's, I, I consider it kind of a personal flaw, right? But we don't tend to trust other folks that aren't, aren't police officers. Uh, and so, you know, for me, it was really easy to kind of be the guy that was like, hey, um, you know, real estate agents are, are, you know, kind of a dime a dozen sometimes, right? And yeah. And they are often very much about what's in it for them. Uh, and so, you know, I kind of share the same background as, as the folks that wear the badge. And so I had that level of trust that they knew that it wasn't necessarily just, I, I wasn't a run of the mill kind of business guy in it for myself and not looking out for them. And so for me, it was easy to kind of parlay that trust and rapport into a, a different space. Um, and, and the first, first transactions I had were, you know, FBI agents like local law enforcement, um, they were all from that world. Uh, and, and you know, they were all guys, again, that I knew from before. So it was, it was using my sphere, right? I mean, to use, you know, the terminology we all know, it was my sphere. Uh, but I, I worked maybe just a little bit differently or came at it from a different angle than maybe other folks might.
1: Well, you call yourself the Valor Group now, right, from a branding perspective. And you've obviously leaned into this niche, which was your natural sphere of helping those yeah. in law enforcement. Even the charity work that you're doing obviously gives back to that arena. When did it um, go off for you that, okay, I'm going to double down and go all in and focus on this, this niche and create, I mean, you called yourself the valor group. If you look at your logo, I mean, I think you have the thin blue line, right? And the thin red line there in your logo. Like what made you decide to do that branding wise?
0: So I initially did, but this is one of the mistakes I made. Uh, and one of the things I try to try to tell people now, like, please learn from my mistake. Right. Um, I came out and, and almost, you know, at least at least for my sphere, right? The people that knew I was a cop, obviously I, I owned that. I was very open with it. It is who I am. It's not just what I did. Um but for the general public, I created a brand that was very just bland. <laughs> it was, uh, and I didn't want to offend anybody, right? It was this idea that I was gonna have this really wide umbrella and do business with everybody and and offend no one. And um ultimately, what I found was that it was just it was a brand that didn't resonate with anybody, mm-hmm. right? Like I didn't stand for anything in the brand. Uh, and so, um, I ended up, uh, you know, as the story goes, I, I had a really good buddy of mine, uh, who was coming out of the same department that I was, he was a cop, uh, and he was starting a dog training business. And he came to me at the time I had been in business and real estate doing well. Uh, and he came to me and said, Hey, this is my idea for a brand. And the brand was very military, very law enforcement focused. And I told him, I said, Aaron, I don't know, man. I mean, that's I think you're pigeonholing yourself, uh, with, with that, that niche. And, and, It was, you know, classic, like I I had no idea what I was talking about because his brand just skyrocketed. Right. And so I'm sitting back here with this bland, you know, logo and brand that I had and watching him take off. And I was like, okay, you know, (laughs) all (laughs) egos aside, clearly he, he knew something I didn't. And so we pivoted and I, and I went the direction that ultimately I think I, I secretly always wanted, right. I wanted to just own who I was and just be true to myself. And like, I am a supporter of police and the military and firefighters. Right. Um, but I was afraid to, to, to say that, you know, especially given some of the, some of the stuff that we've been, been through recently and, um, you know, a lot of anti-police sentiment. Um, and I just, when I, when I owned the brand owned who I was, um, it immediately sort of, you know, maybe the folks that, that, the clients that, weren't going to align with, with who I am, right. We weren't going to get along anyway. Like I wasn't going to earn their business. Um, at least now they can sort of self filter. Right. And and the people that mm-hmm. are more in alignment with, with my vision and, and, um, just my value system, right. They're going to be more attracted to me now. Uh, and so that's, it, it's been just, uh, one of the smartest lessons I learned in business is just, you know, don't be afraid to, to just own who you are and, and own that niche and, and just stand for something because you're you're going to attract more of the right people anyway.
1: That's so good. Yeah, so good. So talk about switch gears a little well, first off, what was the name of the brand before the Valor Group?
0: The Alex Brackey Real Estate Group. <laughs> so
1: bland. Man. I like yeah, I like how you called it bland. <laughs> it was your it's name. So bland. That's,
0: it was my yeah, name. Yeah. yeah. It, it resonated with me and my mom and no one else. Yeah. Right?
1: <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with naming it your name, but I think that's funny how you described it as bland and it was your name. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I think own that's, it, man. I own it. Yeah, it's one, of the, it's one of the greatest lessons in business. I mean, I was literally just on a call with my production manager, and we're talking about our products and stuff, and, and I was telling them how a similar lesson, like one of the lessons I've learned over the last five, six years, is I always think I can do more than we can. And the real lesson there is you need to stay focused and you need to go into your niche. You need to go into what you're really good at. And the best businesses, they they find a need and they fulfill that need and they double down yeah. on it and they do it a million times over. And, yes. you know, and I think that is such a powerful lesson in business, a golden nugget for people. I want to switch gears because you had mentioned something at this event that really stood out to me. One is obviously yeah. you, like most people, are recruiting people, uh, whether it's into the real company that you're a part of now, which we can talk about a little bit, or just your team you do this night where you invite people to watch you or listen to you make calls. And you also invite them to make calls at, at, I guess, your office or whatever. And you have this whole objection handling that you help people with. Can you explain that a little bit and what that's done for your business?
0: Yeah, so I, I recognized, you know, look, when I was a cop, Uh, I I talk about the fact that, you know, as a cop working midnights, right, I I was very busy and and, and good at what I did. Um, But in doing that, you're either going to have to fight a lot, you know, because I'm I'm dealing with folks that maybe are are on drugs, they're drunk or whatever, right? Um, So you're either going to fight a lot or you're going to get really good at talking. Uh, And I was, you know, I was getting older, and so I certainly needed to get better at talking than fighting. (laughs) Uh, And so that was an easy thing then for me to parlay into business, right, is if I can connect and build rapport really quickly um, just through the spoken word, well, that's really helpful in business, right? Uh, and so, it, that's a skill that I had honed already well before I ever got into business was handling objections. Uh, sometimes, really crazy things happen in the policing realm, as you might imagine, and you got to be ready to handle that on a moment's notice, on the fly, right? You you don't have time to go back and, and think about, gee, what should I say or do here. Uh, and so using that in business then has, has become very, very helpful and, and helped make me successful. Um, now, luckily in business, what I recognized pretty early on was when, when we're working with clients, whether it's a home buyer, a home seller, whatever the case may be, an expired, um, there's only a limited number of objections that they can give, right? Um, there's, it's not infinite. And so once you understand what all the objections are, you can sort of then in advance develop what are the best handlers for those objections. And so I think a lot of times, ta- a lot of times people in business, not just a real estate, but whatever their business is, I think sometimes they don't sit down and, and just start to choreograph this out. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it really is just as simple as, you know, Hey, if, if you're meeting with a client, start writing down all the objections you're hearing and eventually you're going to start repeating, right? There's, there's only so many of them that that, that exist, And, and so, um, for me, I, I kind of took just a very like scientific approach to it. Like, I, I just want to find out what they all are. Uh, and then I want to sit down and brainstorm, like, what are all the different ways that I could handle this? Let's try each one, which ones are working well, which ones aren't and just hone in that way. And it was really the same exact thing I did in, in policing. It was no different. Um, some, sometimes I got the response I was looking for other times I didn't. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we had to go fist to cuffs, or I was chasing people through backyards, but, either way it was a learning experience and I knew then not to use that one next time. Right. Mm. Um, and, and businesses is, is, again, it's just no different, just maybe not quite as high stakes. Um, and so, yeah, for, for me, I like to, um, I, I like to have these, these call nights, right. Where we bring people together. We all know in business that we should be making our phone calls, talking to our sphere, whatever that is. But sometimes it's intimidating because you just don't know what to say. Yep. Uh, and or if if you get that that real that really hard objection that you don't know how to handle, um, sometimes it can be intimidating when when you don't know how to get past that. And, and sometimes that's just enough to prevent the roadblock from making you want to move forward at all. And so what I say is, look, I, I think as an industry, we, we should be helping each other, propping each other up and moving each other's business forward because there's plenty of business to be had. Uh, and so for me, that's that's part of how I like to give back uh, is. Um, let's have these call nights where we can come in. We can do some script practice if that's what you want to do. We can work on a handling these objections again. There's a, there's a finite number of them, um, or if if folks are ready, just dive right in and just start making phone calls because that's what this is all about. Mm. Um, and you've got somebody there. I mean, I'm I'm not going to say that I'm I'm the be all end all professor of objection handling and whatever, but. I'm probably better than average. And, uh, you know, there's somebody there that can help and has probably heard that objection before and has a a way to work through it.
2: Can you give an example, kind of walk us through, give the audience maybe a sneak uh, tease of of what's maybe one of your top objections that you go through? How do you then handle that from uh, overcoming the objection?
0: So I I think right now that one of the most common ones is, um, you know, an objection related to interest rates. Hmm. Right. We've had in in housing, we've had a lot of interest rate increases. And, and I, I tell real estate agents, I say, guys, for 20 years in the real estate industry, we've been able to rely on low interest rates to make a logical argument to our clients as to why it's a smart idea to buy a house. Um, but we've forgotten the original idea why people want to buy a house. It's not logical, right? Hmm. People buy a home emotionally and they justify with logic. So we need to go at this more from the standpoint of not a logically based argument, but the emotionally based argument. That's why they're deciding to buy a home. And so for me, it's about, you know, they, they give the, the objection about, Hey, interest rates are too high. Number one, they probably don't actually care about the interest rate. What they care about is their monthly payment. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the thing that we're going to focus on. But I want to know why did they want to buy that house to begin with? Right. Is it that, you know, they want the bigger backyard for the kids to play in, Because here's my question to them is like, look, if we can get you a monthly payment that makes sense for you and get you the backyard that your kids ultimately want to thrive in, then how long are you really willing to postpone living your best life and allowing your kids to live theirs?
1: Yeah, that's great.
0: Because that's what this is about, right? 30, 40, 50 years from now, when we're at our final days, you're not going to look back and say, dang it, I wish I would have bought at five and a half percent instead of six and a half. No, you're gonna say, "I wish I'd have had more summers to push my kids on that swing set," <laughs> and that's what this is about. That's
1: freaking good, dude. <laughs> that's tugging at my Jump. heartstrings. Now that's great. I love that. I, I find that to be true too. Is, is the tapping into the emotion? Is there a framework that you give to people when it comes to thinking about objections? Is there like, is it tapping into the emotional side every time you go to the objection? Is it literally case by case scripted? per scenario? Like, how do you think about it?
0: Um, I I do think it's, it's, it depends on the objection, right? I mean, so the interest rate one is it's the truth is we we can't control what the interest rates are. Um, so that's not something that I can affect, you know, if it's something like, um, inventory, right? Hey, we, we just aren't seeing enough options that, that we like. Well, we have, we have a handler for that, right? We actually have a specific program on our team called the priority access program, where we can, you know, we, we have a system in, in place to help get them in front of sellers before the sellers have engaged other real estate agents to sell the house. Right. And so we're circumventing the, the competition that's out there and getting our buyer directly in touch with somebody who's willing to sell a home. Um, and there's no competition there. So um, sometimes it's, it's, it is a logical um, framework to, to, get through that objection. Other times it it needs to be emotional. But um, I think at the end of the day, it's solving a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, all of them, it's, you know, what the objection in any business situation, in my opinion, it's somebody saying, you know, look, I want to do business with you, but there's this one thing that's standing in the way. Uh, And so they're telling us they want to do business. If they didn't want to do business with us, they would have just hung up the phone. Like we wouldn't be having the conversation. They want to do business. They're just trying to make this make sense. Uh, and our job is to figure out that, you know, a, does it make sense? Uh, if it does, here's how we can make this work and, or B, maybe it doesn't make sense. Right. In which case I feel like it's, it's my job to not sell them. Right. I, I want to chase the relationship and not sale. Um, so I'll tell them like, you know, guys, you know, if you're wanting to sell this house in two years, I can't promise that you're going to break even on this. Like maybe it's, uh, you, you'd be better off renting
2: are you a new agent eager to make a great first impression instead of leading with a business card at your next open house or listing presentation hand out a copy of your very own personally branded magazine for less than the price of a fancy starbucks drink you can be the proud owner of a beautifully designed 48 page coffee table publication branded with your image and contact information in six key places between the covers are evergreen articles and recipes your clients will love and includes two tear out cards in each magazine that are great for sharing you tell who's more likely to stand out from the competition an agent with a business card or one with their own magazine to request a free sample visit remindermedia.com/ stay paid new agent that's remindermedia.com/ stay paid new agent take action on this today
1: mm. What's your main lead source when it comes to these calling and how many calls would you recommend like an agent make? um, a day or to like, wh- where would your advice be to new agents in particular? Like they're getting started. How often they, should they be calling? How many hours a day? What lead sources do you find the best?
0: Um, it, 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 again, it depends, right? So it's, I think what's, what lead source is the best. It's the one that you're willing to follow up with. Um, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter which one it is. Um, I mean, I can sit here and say expire expired for me was the, was the way that I went. Uh, when I started in my career, I, I sort of, I'm a little bit of a glutton for punishment, like I, I was starting in the industry and I thought to myself, what's the thing that scares the hell out of me the most? And it was expired. I was like, I, I want to become a master of those. Right? Oh, because if I can, if I can master the thing that scares me the most, everything else is is just gravy, right? Mm-hmm. It's easy. Uh, and so Um, but uh, you know, for me, I was, I was dedicated. I was every morning I was going to wake up and I was going to make calls to expireds. If if somebody's not willing to do that, then don't pick expires, right? Pick the thing that you're actually willing to be consistent with because consistency will trump everything else. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, um, there is no, no right or wrong in terms of lead source. It's just whatever you're willing to be consistent with in terms of, of how many calls I, I think less about how many calls and more about how many contacts, because at the end of the day, calling and leaving a voicemail or, or you know, calling and, and getting nothing that doesn't drive revenue. Talking to people does. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's it's more about how many people are you talking to. If you can talk to say five new people a day about, uh, you know, in our case, real estate, right? Um, even if it's a no, that's cool. Like that's still a contact. Uh, but if you're talking to five new folks every single day or five days a week, that's 25 people in a week, a um, hundred people in a month, you're going to move your business forward at that pace, right? Uh, and so, for me, it's it's more important uh, tracking that how many people have I actually talked to uh, metric.
2: How have you improved your contact rate? Like, are there any? I know we do like we've heard triple dials, we're text messages, different types of follow up. What are you
0: doing? Um, it's a you know, look, we we don't know the folks that we're talking to how they might be most receptive. So, mm-hmm. I think the important thing is to have an all-encompassing approach, right? Calls, emails, text, video. Right, um, I, I've I landed and expired one time by connecting with them on Facebook Messenger um, and sending a, a video that, that was years ago. Um, so you know, any any there's no again there's no wrong way to to make a good contact. Um, I think if you're focused exclusively on texting, you're going to leave out a whole lot of people. Hmm. Um, if you're focused exclusively on calling, you're going to leave out a whole lot of people. So we try to focus on um, automating the things that we can not automate texting, emailing, right? I, we don't need to actually spend manual hours doing that. Um, what, what I can't automate are phone calls. So for me, we, we have the automation in place on in our business, on the Ballot Group, where our agents don't have to be focused on emailing and texting because the automation will do that for them for the most part. Um, but they do have to manually make those calls still.
2: What are you using for automated texting and email?
0: So we, we, uh, we work out of Sierra. Okay. Uh, Sierra Interactive is our yeah. CRM. Uh, and then we have a lot of plans um, built out through that. So that handles that. Yeah, that's also nice.
2: Talk yeah. about um, Homes for Cops because you call this the first of its kind home buying program. Obviously, it's something you're passionate uh, about. You started this, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I did. Yeah. This uh, this was a problem that I had as a cop. When I went to buy a house, um, I, I did a lot of work as, as a cop in, in drugs. Uh, that was the drug world. That was my thing. So I knew a lot of folks on a, on a first name basis that, you know, I really didn't want learning where my wife and kids slept while I was at work. Mm. Um, that's a real problem that cops have, and, and most cops don't realize that there's a solution to that because it's very easy to find out where somebody lives if you know their name. And you know, my name was on my chest everywhere I went. Right, Bracky is not a super common name, mm-hmm. so um, it was very easy using tax records searchable on the internet for free. Uh, anybody could find out where I where I live. Uh, and, um, I, I, researched this when I was a cop before I was even in real estate and I found what I thought was a solution to the problem. Uh, and I took that to my real estate agent at the time. And she looked at me like I had six heads, tried to pass me off to uh, a family member who sold legal shields, which you know was useless to me. Um, and I, I, yeah, then I took it to my title company, took it to my lender. Everybody, nobody had an, any uh, concept of what I was trying to achieve, which was basically protecting wow. my identity. And so, when I came into real estate, that was the first thing that I did: is I created this program called Homes for Cops. Um, not just for cops anymore. We've used it for prosecutors. You know, three-letter agencies, CIA. Um, I even used it once for a guy who had a, a, an ex-wife who was looking for him. Um, so we say, look, if, if you're in a profession or have reason to want to shield your identity. This is one more layer of security that we can offer where you're, where you're buying a home, not in your name. It's actually in the name of a trust. Uh, and so the, the name of the trust is what goes in tax records, not necessarily your own personal name. Uh, and so it's just, it's one more layer of security that we can add. Um, and to my knowledge, there is no, no one else in the country that, that has a program like that.
2: Wow that's' that incredible. Is incredible and you've yeah. had that how long have you been doing that
0: uh for for as long as I've been in real estate, so almost ten years ten years, wow wow, do you advertise that at all? um we do uh, a, a little bit again it's it's a it's kind of a niche product yeah. right I mean most people this this isn't a concern that they have um it really is kind of you know for for law enforcement defense attorneys, prosecutors, yep. um josh you know, because
1: he's like really that. popular his fans come to his house. Yeah, yes, uh, yeah it's, it's tough.
0: It's, it's, it is it's a hard knock life, man. I mean, looking as good as we do, you know, with, with
2: the haircut. I mean, I know the ladies love the hair. Yeah, I uh, know. Uh,
0: that's
2: so good. Well, t- uh, speak about, because we, you mentioned earlier that you went through this weight loss journey, right? And we were talking yeah. about it before we got on the, on the interview. Uh, you didn't just lose some weight. You, you lost a person.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a middleweight UFC fighter, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk about that,
2: and I think you said it was over COVID. So talk about that and the discipline that it took to to do that challenge, yeah,
0: yeah. So I uh, when I when I left law enforcement again, that that was uh, that was who I was, not what I did. And so when I left law enforcement, I, I felt like a part of me sort of died, mm-hmm. uh, and. You know, that was, uh, it was kind of a grieving process, right? I had to go through and, and I filled that void a lot of the times with the wrong things, right? Uh, food and drink and whatever. And I found myself, I ballooned almost to 400 pounds um, when, when I used to run 5K races and you know, I was very fit. Wow. And, uh, you know, I, I I I didn't, it wasn't that I didn't care, but it, it never struck me as the problem I was creating until my son, my firstborn son at the time, came to me and I, he was probably five at the time, four or five. And uh, he said, you know, I I, I want to have a, a big belly like daddy has. Mm. Uh, and that was the first time that I realized truly the damage I was causing. It wasn't just for me. Mm. I was causing damage to my kids. Mm. Uh, and that was the moment when I said, okay, enough's enough. Uh, and so it happened to be right around the time that COVID hit. We were all, as everybody knows, we were locked in our house and, and couldn't go anywhere. My wife, God love her. She's a, a big CrossFitter. So we have this insane CrossFit gym in our basement. Uh and I had like a an old used like Gold's gym treadmill. I had a Peloton bike. Like I, I literally guys had no excuse anymore, right? I'm locked in my house. I don't have appointments anymore to be running to. And so I, I had no more excuses. And so um I hired a coach um just like I would for business, right? So I hired a coach to help keep me accountable in my in my you know eating, my nutrition, my workouts. Um, I didn't do any sort of drugs. I didn't do any sort of surgeries. Like I just did it the old fashioned way of watching what I ate, eating the right things, learning, you know, what my body responds to in terms of nutrition. Um, and then working my face off in that gym. Uh, and, and then doing that, I lost, uh, about 160 pounds over the Jeez. course
1: of two years. That's amazing, man. That is. Yeah. We were talking about, um, Just like the level of consistency and discipline. Like my respect after I finished 75 hard has gone through the roof of these physique guys. Now, I know a lot of them use whatever, (laughs) you know, drugs and stuff. But I'm talking about the more like natural people, like the ability to get to where they get to. Like they truly are measuring everything. Like that, they yeah. uh, they input into their body and their output, and it's just like insane to me. And I think it's a great parallel to business. Hundred uh, percent. Just measuring what you're doing, and so track few people measure everything. Yeah, yeah. So few people do that, and then the, you can't ever improve what you don't measure. Like, well, that's
0: just it. I mean, for me, that's that was critical to my to my success. Was I and I did? I had to track and measure everything because look, what, when I had trained my mind and my body to consume. 4,500 or 5,000 calories a day, I didn't know what it looked like to not eat enough for three people. You know, right? Like, um, and so I had to retrain myself. And the only way to do that was to know exactly what is a portion. Right. Um, and, and so I did that. Like I had the, and to this day, most of the time I still, I've got a food scale in in the kitchen and I will weigh out, you know, how much, how much is there. And, and that's just part of what keeps me accountable to me. Uh, Because again, left to my own devices, I I already know what happens right when I don't pay attention to stuff. Uh, And so I have to stay laser focused on that. Uh, Otherwise, I know I'm, uh, you know, about 160 pounds, I'm gonna put it right back on.
1: Like most things in life, it's a slow fade. Like you never like get destroyed in a day. It usually is a slow fade over time, where you don't even realize it's seeping in. You don't even realize it's happening to you, whether it's weight or or something in your relationship or something in your business. It's just slowly you're not doing the right things, and over time it well and, it in reverse too. Slowly do the right things, and, and you don't see it right away. But the power compounds. of compounding. Yeah,
0: exactly. Well, and and for me it was you know people have asked like how do, how did I stay motivated for that love for two years. Right. And I said, look, when I was unhealthy, I was crazy dedicated to that life. Right. Right. I did that all day, every day for years. Right. And I needed to have that same level of intensity, but in reverse. Right. That's just the way that I kind of sold it to myself.
1: That's good. Um,
0: it wasn't, it wasn't acceptable to, you know pardon my french but to half-ass this right because i didn't half-ass living unhealthy um i went all in there <laughs> and so i had to be all in on, on being healthy
1: i don't know why the pizza just goes down easier than the broccoli you know? and <laughs> i don't know what it is and that's a question i have for god when i get there i'm like god pizza broccoli come that's on amazing. brother yeah, like broccoli. Come on. <laughs> better. Can you help us out a little my, bit my dad when i told him that one time he's a pastor he's like that's the question of oh, all the, the questions <laughs> you're going to ask that's the question? I'm like, yeah, good point, Dad. Good point. Do you have like a sure. mantra, a quote that you live by?
0: Yeah, so I, I like, there's a, a quote by uh, Mark Cuban, yeah, uh, who actually went went to my alma mater, Indiana University, hmm. um, go Hoosiers. Uh, he said, work, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he said, work as if there's somebody else working 24 hours a day, seven days a week to take it all away from you. Uh, and for me, that resonates hard, right? Because uh, yeah, I I grew up in Indiana and even by Indiana standards, we we didn't have tons and tons of money. And uh, yeah, I had a job from the time I was eight and, and, you know, throughout growing up, I always had a job in part just so I didn't have to carry around that free lunch card at school. You know, I was kind of like too proud to have that. Uh, And so this industry business has been very good to me and and it's given me a life that I I literally never thought real people lived. Mm. Uh, And you know, so for me, I'm, I'm, I, there is always that nagging, like in, in the back of my mind, like waiting for the other shoe to drop, right. Waiting, you know, I'm, I'm going to end up going back to the life where I, I, I don't know how we buy food or, mm. you know, something like that. And I never want to go back there. Uh, and so him saying that, I mean, I do believe, look, there there's entire industries again, disruptors that are, are looking to win my clients over from me. And so it, it is, it resonates with me that I need to be it doesn't matter how successful I was last year that I sold a quarter billion dollars in real estate. None of that matters, right? The only thing that matters is right here, right now, um, and going out and building trust and earning earning the trust and business of, of the folks that are, are talking with me.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. so good.
2: Alex, man, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey with everybody. Before we close out, let people know how they can connect with you.
0: Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Instagram at Alex Brackey. Uh, or you can uh, shoot me an email, alex at valorgroupre.com. Awesome, Alex.
2: Thanks again. Thank you all for listening. You can dive deeper this episode, get the uh, links that Alex just mentioned there, as well as the show notes over at staypaidpodcast.com. And you know the drill. If you enjoyed this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop us a five-star review along with a comment. We'll read it here on the show. We're getting low. We need some more. This is my annual plead for some reviews and some comments on Apple Podcasts so we can read them here on the episodes. Uh, The best way to show your support is to simply share this episode with a friend. If you want to get hold of me or Luke, you can email us at podcast at remindermedia.com. And, of course, you can find us on social media as well. We are at Stay Paid Podcast. For this episode of
1: Stay Paid, I'm Joshua Stike. Guys, I'm Luke Akery. Alex, thank you so much, man. Really, really good stuff. A lot of golden nuggets that people can take action on. My one action item for you that I think is really easy for you to sit down and do right away is sit down and document out your objections. Because I think that will teach you, like Alex is saying, that um, you'll realize that, wow, these objections, there's there's not an infinite number of them. And then ask yourself, do you have a way you're handling each of these objections? And and just like an athlete trains, just like an actor trains, just like every professional trains, you're a professional real estate agent, you're a professional insurance agent, you're a professional financial advisor, whatever industry you're in, if you want to be the professional, you got to show up, right? And just like you have to put in consistency for your weight loss and your health, you got to put in the consistency for your objection handling training. Take some time today and document out your objections. Remember, the difference between top producers and mediocre producers in every single business is top producers take action. Take action on that today.